Well, I wonder uh, if you've ever had a moment or a, a week, a month, a year, a season in which you felt like you were just doing all you could just to hang on, just to make it through. You know, several years ago, I was, uh, when I was one of the youth pastors at my previous church, uh, we went to Lake Shasta for a houseboating trip. Um, it was an incredible trip. Love those uh, community and that relationships that are uh, created there. Um, but they would, you know, go out on the boat and they would have an opportunity to um, go tubing or wakeboarding or whatever it may be. And so tubing was something that was fine. I mean, I could, I could do that all right. But uh, wakeboarding... Uh, was a lot more difficult for me. R quick show of hands, how many of you gone wakeboarding here? Uh, if you're watching online, just click hearts just so I can see. A few of you here have done it. Um, I don't know how many. Hopefully some of you have had a chance to do it. Uh, wakeboarding for me, another like word that I like to call that is just um, flying face down um, and hitting my face on the water. It's, it rolls off the tongue. It's very easy for me. Um, I was trying to hold on and, you know, they talk about how you need to try to, to lift up and you need to try to get on your knees first. So like kneeboarding first, but I just, I couldn't get standing up from the weight. It was just, it was just so hard for me. So we keep trying and keep trying. And the problem wouldn't necessarily just be when you would try to do it and then you fall. The problem would be when I would do that and then I would just keep holding on, even though I know you're supposed to let go, as if somehow holding on is just going to make it that, you know, all of a sudden I'll be able to stand up and it'll be just fine. And it was something where it was really embarrassing for me because the other youth pastor I worked with, um, I was the associate um, pastor. He was the, the youth pastor, the main one. And he was able to like, he was like holding on like with the arm, the ring with like one arm and was like, you know, fixing his hair. And then he would like come across and he would like do flips. And I'm like, I'm just trying to stand up. I'm barely making it here. And that week, that, that, that idea of the wakeboarding and how I kept falling, I was just trying to hang on, kind of symbolized what that week was like for me because we had just gone on a junior high camp the week before. And then this was the high school camp back to back. Really, I love ministry. I love camps, but the the relational. I'm an introvert naturally, um, and so the relational just outpouring for so many days in a row. I just got exhausted. I was just trying to hang on and to make it through what would be great weeks and great ministry happened and relationships were formed. It was awesome. But sometimes, even when there's good things around us, we just we're just trying to hang on. And. Steph found this video um, on Instagram that uh, I want to share with you. It's, it's really short, like, like 15 seconds. But I, I think I wonder if this could speak for how many of us feel, what it's been like trying to hang on to our faith, especially over this past year and how difficult things have been. We're just trying to hang on. So if you can't see the caption, it, talks about, it just says up top, me hanging on to my faith uh, in 2020. So let's go ahead and play that. We watch on the screen here together. Okay, Can you guys, could you guys see what was happening there? No, perfect. So those of you online, hopefully you're laughing because I, I don't know. Um, everyone here, so this is what happened. It's this baby there in Target um, and they're holding, it's like he's trying to hold on or she's trying to hold on to the cart while they're walking and then all of a sudden she gets on her knees and then all of a sudden she's just like flat on the ground as the, t as the cart keeps moving. Like it's, it's funny from afar a little bit but then there's a part of me, it's a parent who's like, well, pick up your kid. Um, you know, because... 
that would be helpful. But, but still, it paints the picture of what it's like to just try to hang on in this year where it feels like every time we're trying to, things feel like we're trying to get up or things are trying to get better, we get knocked over by something else. Or every time there's a difficulty and a struggle or a trial, we think we've turned a corner and around that corner is just another corner that needs to be turned and recognize we're just trying to hang on. A lot of us are just trying to hang on. And we're in a series called DNA called The Core of the Local Church. And our sermon's called Hang On because it's important for us to see what does it look like as a church? What are, what are core beliefs, core passages that Jesus shared that shape how we are to be as a church? If you're with us last week, remember, church is not the kirka, is the word we use for church now, which means the house of the Lord. It's a, it's a location. It's a where. But when Jesus instituted the church, it wasn't a kirka, which is where, it's a ecclesia. It was a who. It was a gathering, intentional gathering of people. So if you're online, intentionally gathering. If we're here, intentionally gathering, this is church. This is what God has called us to. It's the ecclesia. And so what are another couple passages that we're going to look at today that are just core for what it looks like. And, and it's centered around this, the a title of being of hanging on. So I'm going to ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to, to receive what God has for us. And we'd have open ears, eyes, and heart to receive what he has for us to this morning. Father, we thank you that you are with us wherever we are right now. Lord, we know that for many of us, we're just trying to hang on and we're trying to figure out how to navigate uh, a lot of emotions that are going on um, with a pandemic, with the election, with our nation, with the world experiencing these difficulties, Lord. We're wrestling with things on a smaller scale within our families and our friends, at school, at work, uh, trying to walk all these, these things. We're just trying to hang on, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we dive into your word this morning, that you would give us insights, give us wisdom. Uh, give us the ability to see what it is you have for us so that we can hang on in difficult seasons because we're hanging on to you. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. So Lord, we love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 for the most part this morning. And I want to just turn real quick and mention a, a quote that we had last week, the idea that orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. That's going to kind of shape part of our sermon series because orthodoxy, if you recall, is the word for right belief, right? We sang the doxology earlier. And so it's this dox comes from this word, doxy comes from belief. So it's right belief leads to orthopraxy, praxy coming from the word, or we get the word practice. So orthopraxy means right practice. So right belief leads to right practice. So what passages do we need to unpack and to learn from God for us to be able to hang on, but then also to practice well what Jesus called us to as the church, as his church, as his assembly of people coming together. And so uh, the first question that we're going to ask here as we look at some of these is just where do we start? Where do we start when we're trying to navigate how to hang on in the midst of everything going on, both as a church, but also individually? Where do we start when it comes to hanging on? It's we start with loving God. This is going to be a real basic sermon uh, this week. We're not going to have a, you know, it, it, I'm not going to come up with a bunch of new words like I did last week, right? This is, this is going to be just some foundational, vitally important aspects of the church. Because again, we're going to the, local, the DNA, the, the basic building blocks of the church. 
And so we're going to start here in the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Again, if you've been to church uh, for any length of time, you either know the story, you've heard the story preached on, or you've heard the story preached on so much that you want to take the mic from me and be able to share it today because it's, we're so familiar with it, right? So what I want to do is I want to be able to, to walk us through it a little bit and, and to kind of help us navigate this season, help us navigate what God's word says about it. So we'll start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll keep verse 27 up on the screen there because we highlighted the idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That, that verse originally comes from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, which is what's known as the Shema prayer in Hebrew, a prayer that would be repeated all of the time. And it was the idea that being able to, you would love God with every aspect of your being. That we love him with all your heart, which in the Hebrew idea was, was more, the, it, was the, it was your will, right? It was your choice. We think of heart as emotions. Uh, the Hebrew idea is that it was the seat of the will uh, with all your strength, with every aspect of your might, all your soul. In the Greek here, the word soul is the word psyche. So it's kind of just all of that, everything that is within inside of you, all the innermost parts and then with all your mind, that we'd be renewing of our mind. That faith in Jesus doesn't mean we turn our brain off because faith in Jesus actually opens our brains to see how incredible God's creation is and how amazing he truly is. And so we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to read that and be like, got it, great. I'm going to love God. Next. Whereas this is something that takes a lot of time for us to slow down, to be able to love him, not just with our words, but with our actions, to set aside time for him. That some of you who are starting a new year, it's, we want to start new habits. And so we take that time early in the morning for some of you in the middle of the day, some of you late at night when the house is quiet, to be still, to hear his voice, to connect with him. And out of that time of connection is when the love that he has for us fills us so much that it overflows into how we are with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That we start by hanging on and we start the foundational idea of orthodoxy leading to orthopraxy with love God. And that would be a great, I mean, we could spend an entire sermon on heart, soul, mind, strength. I mean, that would be a valuable sermon. We could spend a whole series on that. But I want to share something that happened to me a few nights ago uh, that has kind of turned the direction of the sermon a little bit for me, that I was, uh, went to bed and um, I go to bed pretty late usually. This time I went to bed a little earlier than usual, not much, but I remember I was asleep and all of a sudden I felt like I was, I was woken up and I felt like the Lord said, look at your watch. I'm like, all right. And I look and it said 1231. And when he said, look at your watch, I thought to myself, okay. it was like, look at your watch, and pull out your Bible. I'm like, okay, um, 1231. And then he said, I just heard the voice, Mark. I'm like, okay, Mark 1231. What does Mark 1231 say? And it says to love your neighbor as yourself. It's this parallel passage in Mark. 
And as much as I wanted to focus on loving God and to, and to take that time, I felt like that prompting from the Holy Spirit to remind myself that we're going to focus, especially in light of what this week has been like, what this few months, these past few months have been like in our country, the importance of loving our neighbor, of loving those around us and defining what neighbor really means. So yes, we love God. That's where we start. And I'm not going to do it justice here in this sermon today, but as we unpack what it means to love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's setting aside a time, it's diving into his word, it's learning more about him, it's giving him all that we have, even if all that we have is far from enough, because what he does with what we give him, like he does with the little boy who gave the loaves and fish in John 6, is he takes what we have, he blesses it, he can break it, and he can multiply it. So we give him what we have, what we have to offer, and he will take it, and he will honor that. So... We're going to transition and look at the second part of verse 27 here because where do we start? We love God, but how do we show our love for God? How do we reveal our love for God? And that's by loving our neighbor. And uh, Luke 10, 27, the last part of it talks about love your neighbor as yourself, which is highlighted in the bottom part there. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'm going to continue reading verse 28 and 29. Verse 28 says this. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he, who's the the expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked himself, and who is my neighbor? We're going to pull up verse 29 here because there's two points I want to highlight in the text. First is he wanted to justify himself. In other words, his heart was not to genuinely find out how to find eternal life from Jesus. His heart was to be able to either try to catch Jesus in a trap, which is what uh, the Matthew and Mark passages refer to, or the Mark passage, excuse me. It's the idea of trying to catch him and saying something that maybe wasn't really the most important part. And so then they can have a dialogue and they can have a debate and, and they could discredit him. But instead, he's able to just say, love your neighbor as yourself, or excuse me, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19. So both of these passages are passages that come directly from the law with which this man was an expert. In fact, both of these passages, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, this encapsulates all of the commandments, right? Like even the 10 commandments you can divide into the first several are basing on loving God, and then the last half or a little more than half are talking about loving your neighbor. And so the, the man is right in saying, this is how you, you experience eternal life. And so Jesus kind of lets him sit there, but the man wanted to justify himself. He either wanted to, he was either embarrassed because, you know, there was no dialogue. And so he wasn't able to trick Jesus or trap Jesus or get him to say something he shouldn't. And so then he says, well, well then who is my neighbor? And friends, this question, who is my neighbor, is one of the questions that is the most important one for all of us when we follow Jesus. Because when we first, when I first hear the idea of loving my neighbor, I think of the people who literally live near me, right? Like there's a nearness, a proximity um, def, a dynamic when it comes to neighbor. It's, it's the people who are on my street. For us as a church, loving our neighbor means loving people whose houses that we can see um, and we drive by every single day. It's, it's loving people in our city. It's loving those who are close to us in proximity. But what happens and what can so often happen is that The Jewish understanding of this would say, who is my neighbor? Fully expecting Jesus to say that your neighbor are people who believe what you believe, who love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who love their neighbors as well. 
That the idea of neighbor would be fully understood in that context to say, not just those near me in proximity, but near me in belief and in activity. Not inactivity, but in their activity. This idea of saying, my neighbor, says, who's my neighbor? Fully expecting that Jesus would say, the neighbors are the people who are just like you. But that is not how Jesus answers the question. He answers the question with the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of a man who is beaten up on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's, it descends 3,000 miles within a 17, excuse me, 3,000 feet. That would be false. Uh, 3,000 feet uh, within a 17-mile moment. So it's a very steep. People can hide behind corners. And so as someone's turning a corner, just like we think we might be turning corners in our world this day, and then there's another corner. There's another attack. There's another difficulty. There's another struggle. And so the man is left half dead. And so there's a priest who comes by, sees the man, and he goes to the other side. The, the Levite who comes and he's helping the priest, he goes and he's on his way to Jerusalem, but he goes and he sees the man half dead and he goes to the other side. And the reason they do that is not because they're heartless. It's because they're trying to uphold the ideas of purity. That if as someone who was working for the Lord as a priest and as a Levite, they would be defiled. They would need to go through a cleansing process if they had touched a dead body. So they're not, they're not heartless, but they're following the religious rules. They're following the religious rules. And so they go not just, they don't just walk by, they go on the other side in order to avoid any opportunity for coming into contact with someone that would be dead, therefore themselves becoming unclean. So they go on and they pass their by. And so, so far you would see um, the people would be nodding alongside with Jesus. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, okay. So there's going to be a priest, there's a Levite, but there will be a, uh, there will be a godly Jewish man or woman who will come and who will help this person. And so when they say, when he says the Samaritan helps, that's when everything changes because for the Jewish people, Samaritans were not neighbors. They were other. They were the opposite. They were enemy. The Samaritans came from when the Jewish people um, intermarried with the Assyrians uh, hundreds of years before. And so the Jewish people plus the Assyrians became the Samaritans that they ended up um, having, you know, slightly different belief systems. So for the Samaritans, the Jewish people didn't like them because they're a part Gentile. And the Gentiles didn't like them because they were part Jewish. So they were here in this place where they were kind of despised by multiple people, both for race and also for their religious, how they practiced it. And so for the Samaritan to be the hero of the story would eradicate the idea of what neighbor meant. Because Jesus isn't saying that our neighbor are the people who are just near us in proximity, though that may be true. And he's breaking down the idea that neighbor is the people who are like us. Neighbors are people that we would think of initially, according to the world's demographics or understandings or definitions, as enemies, as other. And so when we are surrounded in our country with so much division and frustration and anger and bitterness on every side of every dynamic, you know, if you, if you lean right, then the left is the other. If you lean left, then the right is the other. If you're somewhere in the center, then sometimes both are the other. You just don't know what to do. And so it's this idea of recognizing that we need to love those who are other than us, who are different than us. Because anybody can love the person who's like them. 
anyone who doesn't have a relationship with God knows well enough to love those who are close to them, who are like them. It takes the power of the gospel to be able to love those who are different and to love them with such veracity and such passion that people would say, why are you doing this? What changed in you in order to do this? I want to share a story of a man named Tom Terrence. And Tom Terrence, uh, you should see a picture of him. Uh, or actually, before that, I'm sorry. Leon Morris asked this question. He's a commentator. He wrote, the man, the man of the law asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus faced him with the question, to whom am I a neighbor? Notice the difference. It's not, who's my neighbor? Who are the people that are the right people for me to show love to? Jesus' whole story is now, who will you be a neighbor to? Who will you extend this love to? Who will you love in such a way that like the Samaritan who bound the man's wounds, who healed him, who tried to put him on his own animal so that the Samaritan had to walk to the inn, who then gave the money to the innkeeper that a denarius, the amount of money that he gave is, is from one of the comments, commentaries I looked at, talked about that's one 30 second. It's basically like one denarius would cover 32 days inside of the inn. So he's giving him two months worth of stay to be cared for by this innkeeper that he walks with him. He serves him. He gives generously. He goes above and beyond. That is how we are called to serve those and to love those who are our neighbors, which then means that's how we are called to serve and love those who are different than us. Again, I'm not telling us something that is revolutionary today. We're going back to the DNA, the basics. Love God, love your neighbor. Because when things are crazy around us and we're just trying to hang on, sometimes we need to hang on to that which is most foundational. Our love for God and our love for our neighbor. So I'll go back now to the story of Tom Terrence. Tom Terrence was a man who in the, grew up in the 50s and 60s and he was in the South and he was... Um, uh, one of his schools in the South was one of the ones that was chosen for, uh, for segregation, excuse me. And so he was just adamant against it. He professed his faith in Jesus at 13 years old. He was baptized. He ended up starting, though, because of all this anger and this hatred, because there was someone who was other than him. He ended up falling in with the Ku Klux Klan. And then he tried to bomb a, um, a house of a Jewish leader and was caught. And while he was caught, he and another woman uh, were caught as they were trying to plant this bomb. And the SWAT team came in and shot and killed the woman and shot him multiple times to the point where he should have died. But somehow he survived and he ended up going to prison and was sentenced to 30 years in prison for this act. And as he was in prison, he started doing some, some searching. He, he started opening up the Bible and realized that he can't justify hating someone because of race or politics or the nation they're from or their background or their looks that's antithetical that is completely opposite to the gospel and so he gives his life to the lord he he gets out after eight years instead of the 30 he goes and he starts becoming a he becomes a, a pastor at a multi-racial multi-ethnic church and he becomes the president of the c.s lewis institute he was impacted by a relationship he had with billy graham poured into him and um, charles colson who started the prison fellowship i mean he was someone who had gone so far he started knowing 
uh, professing his faith. And he went so far against that because he started hating those around him, hating those who were different, because we want to justify and say, well, who's my neighbor? Who are the people I could be nice to? And it's okay. And then Jesus says, you got to be a neighbor to everybody. And through that story, he ends up giving his life to the Lord, being part of a multi-ethnic church, um, and just getting his MDiv and just having a complete life change. And here's what he says that I want to quote, uh, give a quote to you. This is what Tom Terrence says to, to us in regards to understanding this dynamic of how to love our neighbor, how to, how to get rid of division or hatred amongst different people. He says, just teach the Bible. Teach what Jesus taught about being totally committed to God, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor. The next slide says, your neighbor comes in all flavors, the different races and ethnicities and political perspectives. We're called to love one another, period. We're called to love one another, even those who are different. In fact, especially those who are different. Now, we speak the truth in love. It's not that we just allow anything and everything, but we speak truth in love. We don't just speak truth for truth's sake. And we don't just speak love to ignore truth. We speak the truth in love, and in so doing, we love our neighbor. That we can't justify ourselves any differently. Because while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still other, Jesus died for us. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 say this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's sometimes, if we're honest, it's painfully clear how important it is for us to love our neighbor, to love those who are different than us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we kind of talk about where do we start? Well, we start with loving God. Then we say, well, how do we reveal or show that love for God? Well, it's, it's through our love for our neighbor. That, like it says, we cannot say we love God if we don't pour out to our neighbor and love those who are different than us and love others around us. And yet, how do we show that love to our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? And if we follow along with the final part of the text, it's we show mercy. We show mercy. Here's the final little bit. As I, after I summarized the story um, of the Good Samaritan from verses 30 to 35, here's what verse 36 and 37 said. Jesus asked, which of these three, again, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who falls into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, the expert in the law was one of the commentators that I read mentioned how he was so, um, it was so hard for him even to say the name the Samaritan because of some of the, the frustration and some of the division and some of the um, prejudices that were there that he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy. But I think that answer highlights something for us this morning because it shows us that we ought to be ones, that it's not a certain people group or a certain thing who need to be the ones who show love or who show mercy. All of us, as we love our neighbor, show mercy. Mercy is this idea of of this compassion that overflows and needs to be enacted upon. That earlier in verse uh, 
excuse me, 33, I think it is, um, and talked about how he took pity on him, how the Samaritan took pity on the man who was hurt. That's a word of compassion. It's this idea of your bowels. Of you, just, you just feel it in your gut that you, you, you feel for someone. You long to, you, you feel what they're feeling. It's empathy. But where we go here is this idea that it's not just that kind of feeling in your gut, compassion. It's the compassion that drives us to action, which is mercy. To be able to serve someone else, to go above and beyond to serve those who are our neighbors, which again is not defined by what we think it is. Closeness in proximity or closeness in activity or how they live, but it's who can we be a neighbor to, to all of those around us, to those who need Jesus. Because anybody, as we said earlier, anybody can love those who are like them. The power of the gospel is what allows Tom Terrence to be able to love someone who's differently, who's different, excuse me. The power of the gospel is what it allows us to realize how much we've been loved when we didn't deserve it. So we can pour that to the next person as well. And this idea of mercy goes, again, it goes beyond just feeling and goes into action. I want to show uh, one more picture of a woman named Deborah Green and her uh, dad, whose name is Lowell Herman. Deborah Green wrote uh, online, she shared a story of how she um, got a phone call while she was going to Whole Foods. This is a few years ago. And as she was walking into Whole Foods, she gets a phone call from her brother saying that her dad, Lowell, who's on the side there, had just took, taken his own life. And so she's thinking, I came to get groceries, and now there's just this flood of emotion. She's on the phone, and she's you know, obviously just crying out, my dad just killed himself, my dad just killed himself. And she's crying and weeping and moaning and mourning. And she had, you know, she was just numb at that point. And she shares in this story how she will forever be grateful for a group of people who came around her. This group of people were people that didn't know one another, but they came around her and one of them was kind of saying, okay, can you, can you give me your phone? What's your phone password? Because I need to call your husband to make sure that he can, he can come and meet you. Another group of people were saying, okay, we need to be able to drive her home because she's going to be unsafe if she's trying to drive in this condition. So let's have one person drive home and let's have, you know, someone else will drive and follow them so that we can bring them back to the store. They found out, she was able to say, I have a friend who works here at this specific Whole Foods whose name was Pam. And she said, so one other person went in and got Pam and brought her out so they could console her. They went in the back. The husband was able to come. That Another person in this group of people, again, who didn't all know each other, ended up saying, can I pray for you? And she shared the story. She said, I remember. She says, I must have said yes because I remember the words of this Christian prayer over me and my, for me as a Jewish person and my Jewish father, and it still brings me to tears and brings me happiness. Tears because of the pain, but happiness to know that people who were very present in that moment showed mercy upon her and prayed for her. That one of the people that are part of that group ended up giving a gift card, and she shared how that helped so much because she wasn't able to even cook food out of her mourning and her grief, but someone had helped provide for her. She said, you may not remember me. She it was kind of an open letter online. She says, you may not remember me to this group of people at Whole Foods, but I will never forget you because you had mercy on me. Your compassion led you to action. That orthodoxy, right belief, will lead us to right practice. And that group of Christians, or at least, at least one or two of them were Christians. We don't know all of them. That group of Christians 
shone a light into the darkness of that woman's world when she was just barely trying to hang on. And they were able to walk her through that moment and then she never met them again. But the impact is everlasting. That when we go out, when we meet people, when we talk to people, we don't know the impact we can have through our kind words, through our actions, through our compassion that leads to mercy, which is compassion and action. And so Matthew 22, verse 40 um, is the equivalent passage, the parallel passage in this when Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. And this is how he closes it. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we start the sermon. It's called hang on. And we painted the picture in the beginning. It's just hanging on when things are difficult. Hanging on when things around us are chaotic. Hanging on when we're just trying to make it through the waves of life and we just keep falling and skipping along the surface. Hanging on when we're trying to turn a corner and yet right around that corner is either a robber or a difficulty or another corner around which we need to turn. That we're just hanging on. But our point for today, if I can leave you with a hope or encouragement today is this, that we can hang on when we remember what our faith hangs on. Our faith hangs on loving God and loving our neighbor. We can hang on when we remember what our faith hangs on. Loving God and loving our neighbor. And the, the t- commentary that talks about that is that these are the two things that it ha- our faith hangs on and they qu- made the equivalent to like a door hanging on its hinges that it cannot work, it cannot function like a door hanging on on its hinges, do the words of the law and the prophets hang on loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So as we close this morning, maybe for some of us, we need to think who is our neighbor? Yes, maybe it is your, your physical neighbor in proximity, but who are people who are in your life that are maybe harder for you to love because they're different than you? They believe differently, they look differently, they vote differently, they're from a different place, whatever it is. How do you intentionally show them love and mercy this week? How do you pray for them in such a way that they would experience God's love and mercy this week? Instead of saying, who is my neighbor? We ask, God, who can I be a neighbor to? And ask the Lord in that in your moments of silence. And I imagine he'll give you a name or a group of people that you can be a neighbor to. And in so doing, we can hang on when we remember what our faith hangs on, loving God and loving our neighbor. And then we can also extend our hand to others who need to hang on so they too can find their faith in Jesus, that they would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves and they pay it forward. The gospel spreads. Compassion and mercy becomes what we are known for. And the church, the ecclesia, becomes a light in a dark place to shine light in the darkness of people's lives, especially in a time as this. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that you love us, Lord. And God, we recognize that sometimes we just need to go to the DNA, the basics of loving God and loving people. And 
what does this have to do with church? What does this have to do with, with the DNA of the local church? But God, when we get hold of the basic foundational truths that we are called to love God, love our neighbor, if that shapes and changes everything that we do and what we need to do, what we're called to do, Lord, then that allows us to be the church. Because church is not a where, it's a who. It's who is called out, who is part of your assembly, Lord. So help us to be the church. Lord, I pray that you would that you would speak to us now who our neighbor is, who it is that we need to be able to experience or show, excuse me, mercy and compassion to that we would be a church, a body of Christ who would be known for our compassion and our mercy, that we would be known for being a neighbor to all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.